Thank you, Jeanette. This is the air that I breathe. This has been a week of praise as well. Uh, Kyle, who did the meditation this morning, had a birthday yesterday. But David and Jeanette uh, celebrated a 25th anniversary as well. And so we celebrate that this morning. It, it is always good uh, to see the different ways in which uh, the men bring us to the table. And I, I appreciated Kyle's message this morning. I love coming to God's Word together. I think it's cool that we get to do uh, family fellowship together in this way. The Apostle Paul, speaking about uh, spiritual gifts, said in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. And I think that's a good verse to start with uh, for my message today. I'm actually quite pumped up about this new series that I'm beginning. Uh, any of you out there watch the home improvement shows on HGTV or the, the DIY network? We have shows like uh, Love It or List It, Flip or Flop. Uh, you've got the Property Brothers, Rehab Addict. Uh, we've got House Crashers. Yard Crashers, Bathroom Crashers, and my wife's favorite uh, is Chip and Joanna Gaines from the show Fixer Upper. <laughs> but on this day, uh, on these shows, they all get so excited about Demo Day. They get so pumped up about being able to swing a sledgehammer and bust up old cabinets, or, or to knock down walls and a bunch of stuff. And if you've ever gotten to do it yourself, you know it's kind of fun. It's like chopping wood. There's just something therapeutic about taking a sledgehammer to something and start demolishing something that is outdated, uh, that needs renovated, and means bringing up uh, to the 2018 standards of taste. I remember adding an extra garage door with my dad in the house that I, I lived in. We cut the cinder blocks with a, a large concrete saw, and then we just knocked out the old blocks with a sledgehammer. Perfect job uh, for a young adolescent with a bunch of pent-up frustrations, but it made a mess. And uh, we also broke up a huge concrete slab behind our garage, and it, it just was wheelbarrow load after wheelbarrow load that we loaded up the truck with. We took the truck to the dump and we had to empty everything there. And it just made for a long, long day. And if you've done it, you know demo work is kind of hard work too. And it can be kind of gross. After an outdoor project, uh, Dad and I took on renovating a very little bathroom that we had. And he had me take out the old toilet to the truck. Now, if you've ever replaced a toilet, you know that the water kind of gets trapped up and snaked in all those lines. And so, as I lifted that thing up to throw it in the trunk, all the water in that toilet just washed right over me. And it was gross, especially when your dad is standing in the window busting a gut laughing at you. Well, what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks is renovating our relationships. And in order for our friendships, uh, for our marriages, for our relationship with our children, our relationship with our parents, 
our relationships, even with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. In order for those relationships to really thrive, you and I have got to do a walkthrough of our relationships, much like a home inspector or a contractor would do. Maybe we look at life as a fixer-upper and we take note of what's in good shape and then we take note of what just ought to go. You see, when we do that, I think we need to do this relational walkthrough, this home inspection with honesty. You know, the Bible talks about this kind of walkthrough inspection in, in many different ways in our walk with Christ. In Psalm 119.59, it says this, I have considered... I have inspected my ways, and I've turned my steps toward your statutes. And when I did, some stuff had to go. Philippians 3, 7, Paul would say, whatever was gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them dumpster material, garbage, in order that I might gain Christ. James would go on to say that the heavenly wisdom of God is considerate. For instance, when you take that honest inspection of your relational world, it may reveal that the foundation of your marriage really needs to be shored up. Or maybe you look around and you think, you know what? There's more than a few walls in our home that have got to come down so that we can communicate with a more open concept, you know, honesty and transparency. We can get rid of the fear of, of judgment in our home. Or maybe we could really use some grace flowing through the floor plan of, of our lives. Or maybe you need to look at how everybody is wired up, and you see how everyone's wired up differently with different personalities and different gifts. And you might notice you just need a little small upgrade. You don't need a huge job. Maybe you just need uh, to throw a, a fresh uh, a coat of vibrant color on the romance in your relationship. But whatever you find, you do this relational walkthrough of your relationships, and if you do it with honesty and humility, it always pays off in time. And here's the thing I've learned. Demo day... It's not like a one-day project of, of smashing stuff. It might work that way with an old house, but relationally, it really is a lifelong project because we are constantly tweaking and constantly remodeling and changing. It really is a lifetime of taking out outdated, rotted, mold-infested, ugly character kind of stuff to the dumpster. But again, I'm telling you, relational renovation... It's worth it. You see, Jesus is still a master carpenter. Amen? Jesus is still a master carpenter. He knows how to fix things. He knows how to craft things, how to build. And in this series, if, if I could just focus on one thing, I mean, I could talk about all kinds of things for demo day, but if I could just zero in on one thing that has to go on demo day, that one thing about which you, you can't say, you know what, I think we could live with this a little bit longer. We could save up, do this later on. This is one thing you can't say that about. It's the one thing that has to go now without debate. 
It's the one thing that, that rises up in us, and it actually demos, smashes, and wrecks all of our relationships. This is the one thing that keeps us from apologizing. It won't let us admit when we're wrong. It makes us defensive. It keeps us going even when we know, again, we're wrong. It makes us uncoachable. This is the one thing that makes us power up on people. It's the one thing that makes us refuse to be vulnerable or show weakness and and to stiff arm people that are just trying to help us. It's what keeps us running and competing at a very unhealthy level. It's this thing that makes us lie about our past. It makes us exaggerate our accomplishments, enhance our social media account. It makes us lie about our weight, pad our resumes. It's the one thing that keeps us from learning new stuff, that keeps us from asking directions. It forces us to compete instead of ever losing, and it really won't even let us celebrate when somebody else wins. This thing makes us buy stuff to impress other people, and it keeps us stuck in addictions because I don't need anybody's help or direction to live this life. And it stands in the way of all our relationships with each other and with our Heavenly Father. And ironically, this thing just does a number on us too. Anybody want to guess what this thing is I'm talking about? Pride, yeah. The one non-negotiable thing that has to go is pride. Now, I'm not talking about having a a godly, healthy self-esteem or confidence. I'm not talking about being proud of your kids or that feeling, you know, for some of you, wow, in just a few more months, I'm going to graduate. I have worked so hard at this. I'm so proud of myself. I'm not talking about having pride in something that you have crafted or created, something that you've made. Because even God in creation stepped back at one point and said, this is good. This is very good. What I'm talking about is this puffed up self, a sense of self-importance. It's having a focus on ourselves of an inflated ego. I'm talking about selfishness, arrogance. You know, when homes are built on deep footings, Have you ever seen it when they sculpt that out and and they pour this concrete down deep, rebar, uh, all kinds of things, and then they backfill it with stone and dirt? And you realize that only then can they start adding the foundation on top of that. Well, what I've learned about pride is, is, is that often pride, it is the deep footing that every other sin is built upon. That's how it is, at least in, in my life. And I can tell you from personal experience, this is where Demo Day has to start. I read this a couple of times a year uh, just for me. Uh, In fact, I think I've read it to you once before. This is Beth Moore. Uh, She does a lot of Bible studies, but she wrote something called My Name is Pride. And even if you've heard this, uh, maybe like me, you could stand to hear it again. She writes this, My Name is Pride, and I am a cheater. I cheat you out of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way. 
I cheat you out of contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you out of knowledge because you already know it all. I cheat you of healing because you're too full of you to forgive. I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit when you're wrong. I cheat you of vision because you'd rather look in the mirror than out a window. I cheat you of genuine friendship because nobody's going to know the real you. I cheat you of love because real romance demands sacrifice. I cheat you of greatness in heaven because you refuse to wash another one's feet on earth. I cheat you of God's glory because I convince you to seek your own. My name is Pride and I am a cheater. You like me because you think I'll always be looking out for you, untrue. I'm looking to make a fool of you. God has so much for you, I admit. But don't worry, if you stick with me, you'll never know. You see why I like to read that uh, once a year? You know, two-year-olds, they can't say a whole lot but they master one word pretty quickly, don't they? After the word no. Uh, you know what word that is, don't you? Mine. Mine. That's what toddlers are always saying. And when you and I get duped into thinking that we can flex our self-importance, that it somehow makes us all strong or big and in control, in reality, it just shrinks us back to being like a toddler size. And we hold on to our stuff. We hold on to the relationships as we have created them. And we say, mine. And it shrinks our soul. And it makes us look so small. You know, I witnessed a guy just this past week. He went on and on about something that he did. And he had to share how only he seemed to have the foresight and the knowledge to take the steps that he did. And and it was fascinating to listen to this guy. He wasn't lying, but he was exaggerating little things to make the story seem even more dramatic than it actually was, to make himself seem more important. He even dropped a few names here and there to add to the wow factor, to make himself look big, but in fact... The more he went on, the smaller it made him look. Now, the good news is, is that later I recognized it and I apologized. And I asked God to forgive me for it. Now, I'm a little embarrassed to use myself as an illustration for pride. But I'm telling you, it can make you look small. Because pride will shrink you back to toddler size as you say, mine. And what happens is, is we begin to live our life in this self-imposed prison. It keeps us locked up in solitary confinement, and it becomes this dark and lonely cell that keeps you in and everybody else out, including God. And the reason your relational world starts to struggle is that there is so much of you in your life that there's just no room for anybody else. And again, I've I've been there too. You've seen that old thing, right, about ego. It stands for what? Edging God out. That's what it stands for. Check out this passage in Psalm 10.4. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. 
You see, pride makes a man, makes a woman so full of themselves that there's just no room for God. You start living like, wow, I really am the center of the universe. It's why the Bible says in Proverbs 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. God abhors pride because it keeps us from experiencing his love and his acceptance and wisdom and his leadership that he knows could change everything about our existence. And I think Beth Moore was right. Pride, it cheats us out of love. You know, I was was talking with David earlier, and I I mentioned, you know, that they have been married for 25 years. And David said, you know, I can tell you without reservation, Bill, it is Jeanette's eagerness to always be right. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. Oh, but it's true of me. You see, pride will do this. It will diminish your capacity to give and to receive love. It really can. I mean, you start walking into a room and you think, here I am. Instead of thinking, oh, there you are. It has such a way of of devaluing other people. You walk into a room and you start sizing other people up based on some shallow criteria. And somehow you always get ranked near the top If that's in your life, it's really hard for you to say those simple conversational phrases, phrases like, I love you, phrases like, I'm proud of you, I need you in my life, or I was wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. If you have to always be controlling and intimidating everybody in your world, you're going to find people walking on eggshells around you, and they'll try to start a conversation. Dad, I, I, Mom, I, I, honey, you know, you, but they're always too afraid because your pride has diminished your capacity to give and receive love from one another and from God. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 3, 7. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them as, with respect as weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, let, let me just hit pause for a moment. And I want to ask you, how many of you remember that movie several years back called Hitch? Remember that with Will Smith? the movie Hitch, there's a scene in that movie where Will Smith and Kevin James is playing opposite him, and Will Smith is teaching Kevin James how to dance so that he can dance with this girl that he really likes. And Kevin James is this, you know, he's Paul Blart mall cop too, right? He's this uncoordinated, non-rhythmical guy, and he doesn't know how to dance. And so he's doing all these flailing kind of moves, and Will Smith is like, no, 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 just keep your elbows at your side. You know, just keep your elbows at your side. I'm not dancing. Don't worry about that. But uh, we're not Baptist, right? I can't do that here. Anyway, you know, just keep your elbows at your side. That's one of the ground rules for this whole sermon series, okay? Just keep your elbows at your side. 
Because anytime you start thinking, oh, honey, are you paying attention to this? Or you want to elbow your kids and say, you hear what he's saying about being, you know, a good child or me being a good parent? Keep your elbows in at your side. Because the truth is, friends, we are all fixer-uppers. <laughs> we are all in need of God's hand of demo and of renovation, especially when it comes to selfishness. And I'm telling you, if our relationships are going to thrive, I want to give you one of the best examples, and we'll wrap it up along with that this morning. It's this. Humility makes for the greatest priceless upgrade. This priceless upgrade called humility, and there is no one better to learn that from than Jesus himself. Friends, it's his death. It's his burial, his resurrection from the dead that gives us a living hope. It's not just a, I hope, or I wish kind of hope. The Bible calls it a living hope. In fact, say that with me, living hope. You see, Jesus didn't just come to give us an ordinary hope. He gives us a living hope, and he shows us what it means to live with that living hope right now. He taught and he modeled the right kind of humility, this one that unlocks the prison called pride. And Jesus redefined greatness by saying the way up is actually the way down. You want to go first? You choose to be last. You want, you want to be served? <laughs> Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 42, it says, Jesus called his disciples together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, they power up on people, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. You see, greatness is really something you, you descend into. There is this beautiful passage in Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to ask you to turn there with me. Philippians 2, it's actually one of my favorite passages in the New Testament because this is one of the earliest worship songs of the church. You know, you and I, we like to sing hymns. We like to sing praise songs up on the screen. Well, this became one of the, the ancient hymns that the church loved to sing. And it begins this way in Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love... If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest only, but also to the interest of others. And then it says this, in your relationships, this is renovation work, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He's saying this is how you begin your renovation. In your relationships, you choose, you choose to embrace the radical approach to humility that Jesus himself chose. You choose to walk through life with the same mindset of Jesus. You roll out of bed every morning and you pray that prayer. 
You ask the Holy Spirit to guide you through this day and remind you that you are not the center of the universe. And you say, God, today, in regard to my own self-importance, in regard to my own ego, I choose to have the mindset of Jesus because he really is the center of the universe. I listened to a, a young man this past week and he was talking about sitting by the fireplace at Paneer Bread and he had his Bible open and his iPad out and he was reading uh, this passage in Philippians 2. He said it was a gray cloudy day but I felt like I was really getting a lot of personal study, personal growth done when I heard a voice next to me say, good morning. I turned to see this guy sitting near me. I hadn't seen him enter, and he just kind of snuck up on me. There was a group of about 12 to 15 special needs adults that had been just dropped off to hang out, to, to drink a cup of coffee or cocoa, to, to play some games and spend some time, and he'd wandered away from the group. And he sat next to me, and he said to me, my name is Brent, what's your name? He said, well, this is my name. And he said, what you doing? He said, I'm just kind of studying the Bible and, and I'm just you know, focusing here, trying to direct himself to what he wanted and, and kind of push Brent aside. But he said, what actually happened was this. For the next hour, I, I got nothing done. Because Brent and I started to talk and I learned that Brent was a huge Dukes of Hazard fan. He loved country music. He loved his little dog that liked to kiss him on the lips. <laughs> he loved all the old shows like Gunsmoke and the Andy Griffith show. And Brent went on and on for a solid hour. But then that guy said this, best hour of my week. Best hour. I hear stories like that. It just it breaks my heart down. Because God loves even me. God listens to me. He wants to spend time with me. And I am so grateful for the way the Holy Spirit gives us little reminders throughout the day. And the Holy Spirit says, come on. Remember when you got up this morning? You said you wanted to live this day with the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And friends, if you don't daily choose to do that, and you choose in the moment, you're just going to become more and more embedded in your ways and not in God's ways. Maybe you pray, like I've done often, God, just put somebody in my path today that needs a touch from you. You know what? I think Brent was praying that kind of prayer that day, and God put this guy in his path to minister to. I think God said to Brent, there's a guy sitting there studying his Bible and what he needs is a friend right now. And Brent listened. Look at verse six in Philippians two. Jesus being in the very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That phrase, very nature God, it's the Greek word that means the very essence of God. It doesn't mean that Jesus was sort of God or Jesus had just enough godliness to do some miracles and show himself special here and there. It says he was in the very essence, in the very nature God through and through. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says, the son, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn who is over all creation 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is God in the flesh. And even though Jesus was in the very nature God, he made a choice. He said, you know what? Even though I could, I'm not going to cling on to my divine rights. Even though I could, I'm not going to power up on people. Even though I could, I'm not going to demand my own way. Even though I could clench my fist and hold on tightly to what is rightfully mine, I'm going to open my hands and I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to lay my very self on the altar and fully surrender to the Heavenly Father. So Jesus came to this earth and he set aside his divine rights for 33 years. And while Jesus not once emptied himself of his deity, he did empty himself of self. Philippians 2, 7, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Think about this. Jesus came in about as much obscurity as you could possibly come in. Starting in, in, in the place he was born, <laughs> in a manger with shepherds, cow manure, grew up in a little hick town with a terrible reputation. He spent his life pounding nails with his father, raising homes. He, he grew up with his hands in wood, and he died with his hands in wood. There was no grandiosity in, in Christ at all. He came as a servant to reveal who God is. You know, I want to share with you a little bit from an article in the Atlantic. Uh, it, it was addressing the, the old adage, nice guys finish, what, last, okay? And, and the, the article is entitled this, It Pays to Be a Jerk, okay? Uh, they've done a bunch of research on this at the University of Amsterdam, and, and I want you to look at this. There's a couple of excerpts from this. It says this, you can do this, smile at the customer, Bake cookies for your colleagues. Sing your subordinates' praises. Share credit. Listen. Empathize. Don't drive the last dollar out of the deal. Leave the last donut for somebody else. Or sneer at the customer. Keep your colleagues on edge. Claim credit. Speak first. Put your feet on the table. Withhold approval. Instill fear. Interrupt, ask for more, and by all means, you take that last donut. You deserve it. Now, the article goes on to say, you know, the question is, you're going to follow one. Which one? Which one actually works better? Follow one of these paths. The success literature tells us, and you'll go far. Follow the other, and you'll die powerless and broke. The question is, which is which? Which one actually works out to the best? Nice guys in our culture, they really do seem to finish last. Jeffrey Pfeiffer at the Harvard University, he was involved in some research, and, and he said this. Would you go to the next screen for me? 
Oh, that's the last one. I didn't give it to you. Okay, he said this. We believe that we want people that are modest, authentic, and all the things that we rate positively to be our leaders. But we find it's all the things we rate negatively, like immodesty, that are the highest indicator of, of higher salaries and getting chosen for leadership positions. He said, I am actually concerned that most of my MBA students have a problem because they're way too nice. See, I read articles like that and research like that, and I just have to shake my head. You see, the problem here is the very definition of success. If you have to be a jerk to get ahead, why would you ever want to get ahead? If you have to power up and treat people with disrespect and intimidation so that your company or your business or that your family can seem to get ahead, why would you ever do that? That's all messed up. And that's why Jesus redefines success. Jesus redefines the path to success. There's this really cool scene right before Jesus is arrested and taken away to be crucified. He's gathered in that inner room with his disciples and they're eating their last meal that they'll share before the cross. And these guys are arguing about which one of them is going to be the greatest in the coming kingdom. They just don't get it. And they're arguing about it. And this creator God, this one who is above all things, for whom all things was created by and for, he gets up from the meal and he ties a towel around himself and he takes a basin and he begins to wash their dirty feet. And I'll bet the room was quiet. And Jesus says, you want to be great? There you go. Scriptures say, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. For very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I realize that you may be going through some downscaling these days. Maybe you're at the point of becoming an empty nester. Maybe you're starting to consider, do I need to move into assisted living? Maybe you're thinking about a smaller home uh, and you're going to be part of that tiny house nation that's out there and you just are going to downscale. But look again what Philippians has to say about Jesus in verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You want to talk about downscaling? He leaves the glories of heaven for a zero-bedroom condo on this earth. He leaves the grandeur of heaven transcending all time and space for a little plot of geography in the Middle East. He goes from absolute perfection to infancy to having ear infections and allergies and hunger, to knowing what it's like to be cold and what it's like to sweat, to knowing what it's like to be made fun of and mocked and rejected and spit upon and beat upon and to have nails driven through your hands and your feet. Again, he never laid aside his divinity. He just laid aside his self. He nailed his self-interest along with our sins 
to the cross so that we could be freed from the wages of sin that we had earned in our own self-importance. And now as believers, as we follow him, what's he asking us to do? He's asking us to serve, to help with the dishes, <laughs> to bring the car back full of gas, to stop and ask directions, to go last in line, to let somebody else have the parking spot by the door, to the one who voluntarily went to the cross for you is asking you to humble yourselves and forgive somebody. Pick up the phone and call that person today and let them know how much you need them, how much you care. Jesus said, follow me. Do you want pride to continue to mess up your relationships and eat your lunch and make you small or lock you up in prison so that you lack the capacity to give and receive love? Or are you ready to embrace humility and walk free? All right, so here's the deal. Last week I was honored that some of you contacted me and you took my challenge seriously. That whole Psalm 139, 23, and 24, you took that homework and you did it. Thank you. You wrote it out. You prayed that deep search me prayer. Well, here's your homework for this week. I want to give you three questions to start demo day. First, I want you to ask yourself, how does pride play out in me? And if you're not sure where the pride is in your life, ask somebody that cares about you. They'll tell you. If you've got a spouse that's willing to be honest with you and you're willing to listen, you ask them and they'll share. The second question, how does it disguise itself in me? Does it come out as, as overconfidence? Does it come out as a focus on doing and religion? False humility? And the third question, how much longer am I going to let pride control me? How much longer am I going to let it lock me up and imprison me? Friends, I long for you. I pray for you to embrace the lifestyle of Jesus and walk with him. It really is the best way to live. And I want to challenge you today just to say, pride, that's it. It's demo day. You're coming down. Because I am sick of you cheating me out of life, cheating me out of love and relationships, cheating me out of joy and peace. You are not my boss. You are not the center of my universe. You're no longer in control of me. So pride, watch this. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to serve that person today without expecting so much as a thank you. Pride, I want you to watch this. Check this out. I'm going to walk over and I'm going to hug my spouse right now and I'm going to tell them, I love you so, so much. Pride, I'm going to walk over to my son or daughter and I'm just going to embrace them and, and let them know, I am so proud of you. And watch this, Pride. I'm going to hold hands with my wife. I might even let her hold the remote control today on Super Bowl Sunday. You just watch me. God, I'm, I'm going to let go of this addiction. And pride, I am tired of you telling me that I can handle this. I'm going to start talking to God and walking with God. So, so, so long, pride. 
You're going to the dumpster. It's time for a major upgrade. You know, I find the final phrase of that ancient hymn so encouraging. You want to know what Jesus' surrendered life looked like? What it gained? Proverbs 2.9, Therefore, God exalted him in the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven, on earth, and below the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stay on me this morning? This morning, as we have uh, always a time of dedication, maybe it's time for you to just do some work with the Lord and say, God, I, I want to do this demo day with you. I want you to guide my thoughts. I want you to show me the pride. Maybe you invite somebody else, but today is the day you commit to taking this next step with the Lord. Maybe for some of you, it's time to say, that's the faith that I need. I need to know this Jesus that can transform my life. Maybe it's the day you accept the salvation he offers. But whatever your need, friends, I want to invite you to come. Share it with your church family at the end of the service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for being the first through your son to show us what it's like to take a sledgehammer to the pride of this life. In fact, the ministry your son had was so strong even the gates of hell could not stand against it. So, Father, there's walls in our life, in our homes. They need to come down. There's walls between you and us that, that have stood far too long. So in your spirit, in your strength, in your spirit which goes beyond timidity, it gives us self-discipline. Father, by you, we have the power to lift the hammer we need you. We need your pattern. We need your blueprint. We need your plan for our life. So Father, for whatever decision is made today, let it be done leaning hard into your strength. And I pray this for myself and for my family here today in Jesus' name.